Good morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together.
seated. We have the opportunity again this week to spend some time praying together. And uh, if you would like to, to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Father, we come today acknowledging with every ounce of our being that you alone are God, and you alone can rescue, you alone can save, and our lives are in your hands. Father, we make this declaration with the greatest, the deepest sense of joy, because we know you are good and merciful and compassionate. We are so grateful to be in your hands. Father, as we gather today, there are all kinds of things that we bring with us. Stuff that's happened this week. Stuff that's happened in the past months. Perhaps things that we have been carrying for a long, long time. This morning, Father, we bring them all to you. We pray for... All who are grieving today and ask for your comforting presence in each heart and life. We pray for everyone who is uh, struggling with health concerns. We pray especially today for Bill Getty and Warren Woolsey, for Phil Muker and Ted Hopkins, for Evelyn Heil and Alice Brown, for Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our minds and on our hearts today. And we ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we pray also for our world. We pray for Anthony Petrillo as he is traveling to Tanzania this month and setting up schools and working with, uh, partnering with the, the Christians, the churches there. We pray that you will bless his trip. We pray that there will be fruit from this experience and this trip that is beyond anyone's imagination. And Father, today as we think about our brothers and sisters around the world, we join with Christians around the world on this day of praying for the persecuted church. It's hard for us to truly grasp what far too many Christians endure simply to follow you. We are so blessed. We have so much freedom. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters. Give them courage and strength in difficult times. Pour out your spirit of of help upon them. We pray that you would ease the pressure on them. And we pray, Father, that as they bear witness to you, that those persecuting them would see you in a new light and would open their hearts to you as well. And that there would be this amazing revival around the world that where there has been persecution, there will be redemption and salvation. Father, we pray that you will continue to give us a new perspective about what's really important in life. Help us to see uh, our neighbors, our friends, our family, as people to be loved and affirmed. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to teach us the ways of humility and of sacrifice. Father, thank you for your grace upon us as a church. As we prepare to enter into this prayer vigil, we ask for your anointing upon it. Every person who comes to pray, pour out your spirit upon them. Everyone who is contemplating, participating, we pray that you will give us grace and perhaps courage or whatever it is we need to come and spend time with you and to let you speak into our lives. 
Lord, we pray that through this vigil, we will be changed and our church will be changed and this town will be changed and the communities that we represent will be changed through the grace of Jesus. We pray all of this in his name, offering our prayers through his grace and remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Good morning. Uh, children will be dismissed for Children's and Junior Church in the song following scripture reading. Uh, we're reading this morning from Acts 16. Paul and Silas in prison. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with this order. Release those men, the jailer told Paul. The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
Before you're seated, just take a moment, share a word of greeting with others here in worship as we celebrate what God's done for us. You notice there's an insert in your bulletin this morning um, about the prayer vigil. And uh, we actually start this today. The first uh, person coming to pray is at 5 o'clock. And, uh, but before that, at 4.30, we're going to meet here, have about a half hour, 35, 40 minute gathering of music and scripture and prayers, candle lighting, to uh, help us prepare and just sort of join our minds and spirits together as we move out into this time of prayer together. I don't normally encourage people to uh, use your phones during the, during the uh, sermon and the service, but today, if you, if you have a smartphone and you can do the QR reader code, there is a code on the insert in your bulletin, and if you, you click that and read that, it will take you right to the sign-up page. And so if you're using your phone to sign up to be in the prayer vigil, I'll give you a pass today. Um, but as you can see, there's some pictures going through here of just some things that we're doing in the prayer room, a number of things different. Um, as I mentioned last week, uh, today even more so, the room is completely ready, and we invite you to take a moment after the service, go down, walk through it, see what's there, and you get a little bit of a sense of all of the things that are available to you when you come to pray. If you've never participated in the prayer vigil before... I really want to encourage you to do so. It may feel a little bit intimidating sometimes to spend an hour in the prayer room wondering what to do, but I think we provided enough things for you that the time will go very quickly. A number of ways to interact and to engage you as we pray together. So I I really want to encourage you to to be a part of that. The image that's been in my mind this week as I've been down there praying for this event for us is the end of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 40, the people uh, have made all of the stuff for the tabernacle. And you get to chapter 40 and it says uh, God commands Moses to put it all together. Put the tent up, put put the Ark of the Covenant in, all the utensils, all the bowls and basins and everything that they're going to need and all the curtains. And when all of that is done... They step back and the writer of Exodus tells us that the, the glory of the Lord comes upon that place. And, and that's what I am hoping will happen as we come and pray together. That the glory of the Lord will come upon that space and we will sense his presence and his transforming work in our lives. Father, we pray for your grace uh, upon us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to understand your word. Help us have hearts that are open to you. We pray this through Christ. Amen. To be human is to be hurt. It's just the way it is. We live in a fallen, broken world. And uh, people do things that hurts us. People oppose what we want. To be a human being is to face pain and struggle and difficulty. And contrary to how some people present the gospel, to be a Christian does not minimize that. In fact, as we were praying this morning, this is the day when we we specifically pray for the persecuted church, though we're doing that every Sunday... And the reason for that is because the intensity of opposition increases in many places of the world where people are Christians. And it creates a scenario in which the church is asked, continually asked the question, what are we going to do? What are we going to offer in response to 
the struggles and the opposition, the pain, the hurt, the difficulties that we face in this life. Whether it's because we're Christians or simply because we're human beings. It is this kind of scenario that Paul and Silas face as they minister in Philippi. It's kind of an interesting story. Paul and Silas make their way to the synagogue every day and they keep passing this, this young girl who keeps telling everyone these are the people who can tell you about Jesus and how to be saved. And this, sometimes this happens to Jesus as well, but it's obvious that this, this girl has some kind of a, an evil spirit in her. And she is, uh, she's a fortune teller and makes money for her, the people who own her, her slave owners, and, and doing that. And I find it interesting that Paul finally says, he gets so annoyed with her, frustrated with her, that he says, okay, enough of this. And he prays for that demon to be cast out of her, and she's set free. The problem is, she now can no longer tell fortunes. And that irritates the people who make money off of her. And so they, they start a, a riot about Paul and Silas and have them beaten and thrown into prison. It's not all that un, unlike the story you find in chapter 7 of Acts, where Stephen is preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He is a godly, righteous man. And he's stoned because of his faith. In both cases... These people are being persecuted and opposed, not for doing something wrong, but for doing things that are right. And often, that's what happens to us. Often, the, the times that, the things that hurt the most are those times when we have been, we've been opposed and we have, we've been hurt, not for doing something that we deserved negative responses, but we were doing good things. We were trying our best. We were being sincere. And we're hurt. And the question that confronts the church is, what do we offer in, that, in those scenarios? What's our response in those scenarios? And it's clear to me, when you read all of the scripture, and inherent in this story we read this morning, is that what the church offers in those moments is forgiveness. And what we as Christians offer in moments when people hurt us and oppose us is forgiveness. And it doesn't specifically say in the story, Paul and Silas forgave them, but as we walk through their actions, we'll see it. The thing about forgiveness is that it always surprises people. It's always intriguing to me that news agencies want to report people who forgive someone who did something heinous to them. Because it's so unusual. It's not what human beings do. I mean, our natural human response is to strike back. What people do to us, we do to them. How people treat us, we treat them. I mean, that, that's how human beings react. That's how, we, that's how we survive in this world. And God comes along and Jesus reinforces it. And Paul and Peter and all the New Testament writers reinforce it, that the response of the church is different. It is one of the things that sets the church apart. It is one of the most powerful witnesses we have to forgive when we have every right in the world to do anything but forgive. In this story, when the earthquake happens and the the doors of the cells fly open and nobody goes anywhere... And the jailer comes in and he's about to to kill himself because he knows that when the prisoners escape, he's going to be held responsible for that. And Paul says, everybody's still here. And his response is, are you kidding me? Wow, what must I do to be saved? It always surprises people, which is why it's such a powerful witness It's one of the things that sets us apart as the church. And of course, that starts in the church. How do we we possibly forgive people outside the church if we aren't forgiving each other inside the walls of the church? Jesus said, they will know that you're my followers if you love each other. And inherent in love is forgiveness. Because we hurt each other too. It's not just people out there who hurt us. 
we all hurt each other from time to time as well. And it is the surprising work of God that people could actually respond to hurt and pain and opposition in a spirit of forgiveness. It's really what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 when he says that, that anybody can, anybody can uh, love their friends. People love you and you love them back, big deal. Everybody does that. The real test is, what do you do by your enemies? The real test of me and you, Jesus says, is when people oppose you and hurt you, that instead of responding in kind, you forgive, you love. It's a huge part of our witness. I think one of the reasons we get caught up in wrestling with that is because we have a sense that says, if we forgive someone, then we're giving them a pass for what they've done. But the truth is, forgiveness is not, does not minimize the pain that we experience. It does not ignore the truth of what's happened. Now, in some ways, it's a lot easier to just live in denial and to say, well, yeah, I forgive them without really addressing it. We don't really forgive. You can only forgive something that you name. You can only forgive something that you declare, that hurts me. That's a problem for me. And you you can't, it's not really forgiveness if you're not really addressing what has happened. And so, one writer says, forgiveness is not saying, never mind. What forgiveness does is it gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new way of looking at the injustice that's been committed. And now we, when we forgive people, we decide we will no longer respond to them the way we once did. And we will be more concerned about trying to, to repair the injustice than about getting revenge. You see, you read the Psalms, and a lot of the Psalms... Quite frankly, a lot of the psalms disturb us. There are some psalms that we just don't read in church because if you read them, you've got to spend some time explaining them. Right? I mean, you read some of those, you're like, whoa, that doesn't sound very Christian. And I used to wrestle a lot with that. And then I read Eugene Peterson's take on that. And one of his ideas is that the psalms are in many ways personal journals of the Israelites. And that they're writing down what's in their hearts, just like we do if you, if you journal. You write down what's on your heart, and it is a way of saying, this hurts, this is wrong, this is unjust, and God, we want you to do something about it. Because the reality is, it is wrong. It is unjust. And it needs to be addressed. And it's one of the ways of working through it. And so to say, I forgive, doesn't mean I ignore what you did, or I'm going to act like this doesn't hurt me. No, the first step in forgiving is saying that was wrong. It's one of the things I've I've always felt was so powerful and beautiful about the the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that Bishop Desmond Tutu led in South Africa. After the, the end of apartheid, Nelson Mandela appointed Bishop Tutu as head of this commission. And Their role was to try to bring about reconciliation from all the pain and heartache and injustice that had taken place during apartheid. And the way they did that was to have the council, the commission of people, and every single person who had been hurt could come before them and tell them their story. Every detail that they wanted to share. And, and they had a chance to express the truth of their pain. And once that happened, people began to realize that that gave them the ability then to start forgiving. And for many of them, they were able to talk to the person, the people who had actually committed these acts against them. And to say, I forgive you. It was a, it's a powerful thing. And Nelson Mandela, has, or uh, Bishop Tutu has written about that. And his title is interesting. The book he wrote is called No Future Without Forgiveness. 
And there is something about saying and naming the pain that is the first step toward forgiveness and relieving the pain. I think that's why prayer is so important to this whole process. One one of the, the boards, one of the stations in the prayer room is dealing with this sermon as all of them are dealing, all the different ones are dealing with the different topics that we've talked about this fall. And of course, one of them is forgiveness for today. And I've been thinking a lot about that and about the importance of, of spending some time in prayer in order to be able to forgive. Again, I think one of our, one of our problems is that we, we say, I forgive and, and act like that's the end of it. Forgiveness often takes time, especially the deep pains that we've experienced. It takes time. And it takes a lot of prayer. If there's something that you're wrestling with, you may want to spend the entire hour in the prayer room just focused on forgiveness, listening to the music, reading the scriptures, thinking about the prayers, focusing on the picture. And spend that whole hour wrestling with, with the, the struggle that you're having with forgiveness because it takes time. And even an hour, it doesn't get done. We keep coming back to it, but we pray because we need God's help in the midst of it. And sometimes, you know, we want our prayer to be, God, help me to forgive. But quite frankly, sometimes, sometimes we have to start with the prayer, God, help me want to forgive. And maybe, just maybe, Maybe the first prayer we can really pray is, God, help me want to want to forgive. Sometimes the pain is so deep, we don't even want to want to forgive. I read about a, a, a guy who went to a church as a, as a path, new pastor of the church, and for some reason, one of the prisoners in the church didn't like him. And unbeknownst to him, this prisoner started spreading pretty heinous lies about him. That he was stealing money from the church, that he was having an affair with somebody in the church, and all of these things. And none of it was true. And he couldn't figure it out. He tried to talk with this guy and got nowhere. And every Sunday he'd see the guy and the guy would smile, how you doing, Pastor? And his story started, kept coming back to him. As you can well imagine, he was upset, he was frustrated, and this went on and on and on, and he was, he, you know, he just wanted vengeance. And then the Lord began to speak to him, and he brought to mind this passage about loving your enemies, and he said, Lord, that's not the prayer I want to pray. Couldn't we pray one of those psalms where you go get people? That's the prayer I want to pray. And the Lord just stayed on him. And finally he said, okay, Lord, I will pray to forgive him. I'll pray for, he said, I sense the Lord saying, I want you to pray for God, for me to bless him. He said, I'll pray for you to bless him, but you need to understand, I don't mean it. I don't, I don't mean it. And so he said, I started praying, Lord, bless John. And, and Lord, help his wife. I can't imagine what it's like living with this guy. <laughs> and Lord, bless his children. Help them not to turn out like their father. And he kept praying these prayers. And it started out as, Lord, help me want to want to forgive. And after time, after spending an extended time in prayer, it began to move to, Lord, help me to want to forgive. And then it became, Lord, help me to forgive. And then it was, Lord, I think you're doing something in me. He said, I still remember the Sunday he came to me. He said, he said good to see you, Pastor little smirk on his face and he said I genuinely could say in my heart it's good to see you too and I meant it it took time it took prayer it took honesty moving from one step to the next and I'm convinced that prayer is one of the key elements to getting us from one way to the other because in prayer we are in the presence of God and one of the things that I find interesting when we pray 
God works on us. And one of the things that God does when we think about forgiveness and prayer is that God begins to remind us that not only do we have people we need to forgive, but we've created scenarios that people need to forgive us. And that's humbling. But there's something about recognizing that that gives us a little bit more desire to want to forgive others. And in prayer, we come face to face with the reality that God forgives us. Even if we can't think of something we've done against someone else, we know we've sinned against God. And God forgives us. Over and over and over again, God forgives us. The picture in the prayer room is of a cross with nails in it. Because forgiving other people starts with remembering and and receiving the forgiveness that God offers us. If we never receive God's forgiveness, we'll be hard-pressed to forgive anybody else. And the thing is, receiving God's forgiveness means that we acknowledge God needs to forgive us. We're not perfect. See, one of the things we wrestle in forgiveness is feeling like we're superior to other people. I mean, Paul and Silas in that prison could have said, I'm not forgiving you. We're a lot better people than you are. We don't go around beating innocent people. We don't jail people because they're trying to do good. Why would we forgive you? But that's the whole point. They came to realize that they are only there because God's forgiven them. I wonder when Paul is sitting in that prison, maybe even when he's being beaten, if his mind flashes back to Acts chapter 7, when he stands there guarding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death. And he realizes he is a follower of Jesus only because of the grace of God. He's been forgiven. And so he can forgive others. It's imperative that you and I realize, accept, receive the forgiveness of God. And it's not that the forgiveness, that that God's forgiveness hinges on whether we are willing to forgive or not. God forgives. Jesus went to the cross and forgave the sins of all people. The issue is, will we accept it? Will we receive it? Will we acknowledge we need it and embrace it? And the most amazing things ha- thing happens when we do that is that we come to realize that forgiveness actually sets us free. See, we think offering someone forgiveness is offering them a gift. Look at how great I am. I am such a wonderful person. I'm going to forgive you. You're pretty bad, but you know what? I'm going to forgive you because that's just who I am. You know, I'm a good guy. And we think we're offering them a gift, that we're setting them free. The reality is the most profound thing that happens when we forgive someone else is that we are set free. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about prayer, he says, if you forgive, if you don't want to forgive people who've offended you, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. That doesn't mean that God is in heaven saying, all right, as soon as you forgive that person, then I'll forgive you. What he means is, God's forgiveness is always offered to us, but if we refuse to forgive other people, we have created a barrier to God's forgiveness. We have chosen resentment and bitterness Instead of the freedom that God wants us to experience. And we cut off God's forgiveness. We block the way. But in forgiving, we let go. We open the doors. And the forgiveness of God that sets us free floods into us. See, this whole story is really, in many ways, about who's enslaved and who's free. Paul and Silas are walking free around the city, and here's this this girl who's enslaved, not just to these people, but to the evil one. And they set her free. And because they set her free, they, they get put in prison. So now they're enslaved. And everybody else is saying, look who's, in, look who's in prison now. Look who's free and look who's not now. And the jailer is looking at them saying, look who's free and look who's in prison. But it all of a sudden dawns on the jailer. The light comes on after this whole encounter of the earthquake and nobody's left that his whole life has been a photographic negative. 
Everything he's been looking at is backwards from reality. Paul and Silas may be sitting in a prison, but they're the only ones in the story who are really free. The jailer has come to realize he is imprisoned to his sin. And he sees something in them, something in their witness, something in their lives, something in the way they carry themselves that causes him to say, they have something that I want. And I think he understands that because of of the fact that Paul and Silas, sitting with their legs in stocks, are still singing hymns of praise to God. There is something, I've been pondering this for a few weeks as I'm thinking about this sermon. There is something about singing and forgiveness that are connected. Think, think about it for a moment. Why, what, would it, what would cause the jailer to want to say, how can I be saved just because the prison doors were open and no one escaped? I mean, I, I have a hard time in my mind connecting the dots between those two things. Unless, before the earthquake, the jailer is listening to Paul and Silas sing too. And the prisoners are listening to Paul and Silas sing. It tells us that. And there is something about these hymns of praise that they're singing. They're not singing laments. They're not singing, God, come get these people. They're singing hymns to to the Father. Thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you for Jesus. The hymns of the faith. They are in this rotting, stinking jail cell singing their praises of God. Who does that? except people who are set free. They can sing in the midst of their pain because they're free. And they know it. And when you're free and you know it, you can do things that other people don't understand. You can sing in pain. You can forgive when everything about about the world says you ought to hang on to that vengeance and bitterness. You can be kind when everyone else says, don't be. You can love when everyone else is saying, you really ought to hate. And there is something about singing the praises of God in our pain and our agony and our opposition and our hurt and our bitterness, the struggle with all of that. Something about singing the praises of God allows the Holy Spirit to get into our souls and our hearts and it begins to change us. And forgiveness is being set free so we can sing. I have a friend who has struggled for years with with a family member through the years, I've, I've walked through a variety of conversations with them. They, they grew up in a home where there was abuse, physical abuse, mental, emotional abuse. Through the years, they've worked on trying to come to grips with that in a variety of ways. It's had this ripple effect on on their entire family, at least what I know of it. And it has, it has been hard for them. Not too long ago, we were talking. And he said to me, I've come to a decision. I'm going to forgive that family member. I mean, everything in my being wants to hang on to the anger, wants to hang on to, to being vindictive, wants to hang on to all of the ways in which, quite frankly, I think I deserve to hang on to them. I've been wronged. Our family's been wronged. Everything about this situation, that person is wrong. But I don't want to hang on to this anymore. I want to let it go. I want to forgive. 
And we talked just a little bit later than that. And they said to me, I went to that person and I said, I forgive you. And he said, it was like, it was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. And, and I knew in that moment, freedom like I'd never known before. And yes, there's still some stuff that we work, we're working out and we're still trying to build trust. But I'm free. And then he said this to me. And I have not forgotten this. It has been in many ways haunting me. He said, the question I keep asking myself now is this. Why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long to be set free? Obviously, I don't know what you might be wrestling with today. I know my own stuff. But my, my prayer and my desire for us is that we wouldn't get down the road and ask that question. But instead, start that process now. Do it now. And experience the joy and the freedom to be able to sing in the midst of trouble and to know the grace of God setting us free. Let's take a moment just to think, to pray, to hear God speaking to us and to speak to him. Father, you know the struggles in our hearts. We're so grateful that you you start with us where we are. And for some of us this morning, the prayer is help me to forgive. For others, it's help me to want to forgive. And maybe for some of us, it's help me want to want to forgive. Hear our prayers and set us free that we might know the joy of your grace upon us. We ask this through Christ. Amen. This week, if you... uh, As you're praying and thinking about whatever issue may be on your mind today, I'd love to hear from you. Maybe it's just a, hey, I'm wrestling with something, pray for me. Or I'd like to talk and share with you what God's doing in my life or whatever you would want. But I think it helps us to just have other people helping us pray and talk to one another. It seemed appropriate to me this morning as we move toward conclusion, concluding the service that 
maybe one of the best things we could do was to, to do what Paul and Silas do, and that is to sing our praises to God. And we always sing after the sermon, but today we're going to sing a couple of songs this morning. And a couple of songs that I hopefully will help us is have a sense of God's forgiveness to us, God's grace upon us, God's mercy to us, as we, um, as we pray for him to set us free to forgive. As we begin singing, the usher's going to come and receive the offering. And when that's done, we'll stand and sing our praises to our God who loves us and who wants to see us free in Christ.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.